Welcome to the C2C Podcast. I am your host, Derek Anderson. After holding my first event in 2010, I went on to create Startup Grind, a 400-chapter community based in over 100 countries. Along the way, I discovered the greatest marketing tool of all time, your customers. Yet, I couldn't find anyone sharing how to build a community where people could experience your brand in person or at scale. On this show, we talk with the brightest minds and companies on the planet about how to build customer-to-customer marketing strategies and create in-person experiences for your brand and customers before your competitor does. Welcome to the CDC Podcast. This is John Fry from the Bevy team. And ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is none other than Richard Millington. He is the founder of Feverbee. He's worked with companies like SAP, Facebook, Google, Lego, and so many more. He's the author of Buzzing Communities and the Indispensable Community. I'm really excited because today he's going to talk about the top communities that he's looking at and studying, the big things that most companies miss when they're building their community, and metrics and how to measure a sense of community, and so, so much more. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please enjoy the show. Rich, you've been helping brands build community for more than a decade. What's changed over the last you know, 10 years? You look at the way people are building community 10 years ago, 2009, 2008, 2010. What are some of the top of mind things for you that, that has changed over that time period? Sure. Thanks for the question. I mean, my experience is all in the digital side more than the o- offline world. Um, and it used to be around 10 years ago, there were so many questions about how do you start a community? How do you get engagement? How do you get people actively participating? And all those kinds of great things, which are important. And I think now most of the organizations we work with have gotten pretty good at getting people to participate but they're generally far less good at getting the value from their community that they should be. They're far less good at delivering the value to their members that they should be. And I think most communities are only delivering on a tiny fraction of their potential. If we look at most of the big communities that are out there at the moment, most of them are only serving one or two goals. So they're only helping the, commu- the organization in one, in one context, such as a customer support or ideation. When with the amount of resources that organizations are investing into a community now, they should be support, supporting multiple areas of the business. And so I think the challenge right now, the biggest one facing most organizations, is how do we make sure we're getting the most value from our community? And how do we make sure we're delivering the most value to our community? And I think there's very few organizations that are doing that extremely well at the moment. But I think that's the challenge, measuring that value, identifying that value, and making sure that you're getting that value. In the utopian community state, like how many areas of the business can community actually affect? So you mentioned a couple, but if I'm doing this best in class, how many are there? Sure. Well, let's take some of the best communities out there that I know of today, you know, the best branded online communities such as Fitbit or Alteryx, um, those kinds of communities. You have a community there that's supporting so many different goals. First, you've got the retention. People are connecting with one another through the apps. They're more likely to continue using that tool, that software, those products. You've got the academy that's attached on the Alteryx community. 
So people are learning more as a result. They're getting more informed about your product. So there's customer success there. You've got call deflection when people are asking questions in the community instead of having to go through any of the other channels that are more expensive. So you're answering most questions that your customers have before they've even had to ask the question because the answer is already there in that community. You're supporting your content and your marketing efforts so you can source the best ideas from your community. You can find out what topics are the most widely discussed within that organization and then design that or design a system to feature that or build um, content around that. So Fitbit, for example, will source a lot of their best content ideas from the community, the top discussions there. They'll have a nutritionist that'll write an expert article on it. They'll promote that article so they get the search benefits from that. You have the lead generation because the community is a great way to get a lot of search traffic to attract new leads to your business. Lead conversion, you have a community that can inform people before they have to actually use the product. That's a place where people can go and ask questions and get support. You can use a community for recruitment where you can find great employees from your community. I mean, you get whole communities that exist today, like the Stack Overflow site that are entirely based upon the idea. They grew up from helping people recruit great people through sharing expertise and also just solving issues you never knew you had. I mean, we've had communities where they identify a lot of their biggest problems today or tomorrow in that community today. So you can see what members are discussing at the moment. You can see very early on if there's a problem before it becomes a major disaster, PR disaster for you, and you can resolve it quite quickly. So the time to resolution is really important. But and it also comes through in so many other ways as well. We've had organizations where they want great presentation, great material they can use in sales presentations. And it turns out a community is a fantastic place to get quotes, to get case studies, to get testimonials. It's a fantastic place if you look at some of the other tools that exist today. It's, it's a fantastic place to get your members um, posting their reviews of your products on, on review sites or responding to those reviews. You know, you know, most people before they buy any major software product at all will go to Trustradius or some comparison site. And what you'll find there are reviews and ratings that are usually generated by a community or people that are in that community. So there's, I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot of different ways that a community should be supporting the organization. And right now it's not because people are too narrow focused on whatever initial goal the community had when it began. And often those goals are very badly defined. And I don't think most people are getting even a fraction of the value they should be from that community. What percentage of companies would you say are really doing community well and sort of bucket those down? Like are 20% of companies doing community really well or are is more or less? And then how would you break those down as sort of broad strokes? Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind a little bit of self-promotion, we have a big list of communities at phoebe.com slash communities. So it's a big list of 1,600 online communities that, and we rank the best of the communities in different categories that we like. And what, what percentage are doing well? I think it depends what's how far along they are in their journey. So the more mature community is, the more likely, though not always, the more likely it is to be doing well. By our definition, in terms of delivering a huge amount of value to members while generating a huge amount of value to the organization, I don't know, probably around 5 to 10%. I really don't think it's that many. That doesn't mean they're not generating a positive return on investment. It doesn't mean they're not generating value to their members. They're just nowhere near, they're just not generating anywhere near the value that, that, that they could be to both groups. Well, it's interesting because it feels like it's definitely something very relevant. I mean, we're, we're hearing in topical where we're hearing this sort of backlash of, in many respects, the sort of digital promise that, you know, you're going to come online and, you know, you're going to get all these things that you didn't have otherwise. But now people are, 
you know, it feels like, you know, with the revolt against social networks and revolt against, you know, different things, like people are almost coming back to where we were or trying to get back to where we were when we had a sort of deeper human interactions and, and more in-depth, uh, you know, types of real relationships. And I think community is, is so good at fostering that. Uh, so it seems like, I mean, it's interesting to hear if five or 10% are really doing it great, you know, just seems like a huge opportunity. You and I are probably extremely biased in this in this regard, but it just seems like a great opportunity right now to to capitalize on something that people still aren't, a lot of people aren't doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I don't know if there are more people that are seeking out communities than before. I haven't seen any data on that, but certainly there's a huge backlash against all things social at the moment. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of organizations make here is that they grossly overestimate how interested their audience are in talking about them. I mean, take you and I, if we were to name the number of branded online communities that we participate in, that we're not running, that aren't involved in our, that we're not responsible for, it's probably not many. I mean, I've asked this question to a room full of community professionals in the past. I mean, how many of you participate in a brand community that's not your own? And very few people actually raise their hand. So it's clearly a problem here. I think brands have to be a little bit more realistic. I mean, I can't speak for what non-brand, you know, people that run a community for their hobbies, they're, they're doing great. But I think if you're running a community for a brand, you've got to be very realistic about why people come to that community. And what you usually have is a small group of members, usually around the top 1%, they say, but I think our data is usually it's a lot less than that, who are going to be super enthusiastic, who have the motivation. They Even less than 1%. Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be a small group that have the motivation and have the expertise and have the the motivation, the expertise and the time to respond to lots of questions, to spend time hanging out there and engaging with one another. These are fantastic members to have. And I think we'll, what we then have are another group that don't really fit that criteria at all. They're going to come to the community when they have a problem they want solved and they're going to want a solution to that problem. And they might stick around if there's something new they can learn there, if the community delivers more value than what they expected. But most communities at the moment are based around a problem, a problem that customers have. So I have a problem, I go there, I get a solution, I leave, I don't come back until there's another problem I have, which might be once a day, it might, it might be once a week, but ideally it's never because I don't have any more problems with that, pro- with that product. So the challenge is how do you build a community that doesn't just cater to that problem, but also what can people learn that they didn't expect? How can you get them to realize, oh, there are these unknown unknowns, the things I didn't even know I didn't know. That's why I'm going to come back to the community tomorrow. And you've got to build that into that first visit that members had. And then some of them will become the top members as top less than one than one the one percent that answer every question. But it's okay if they don't. And so it's just about balancing those two things, making sure that you have a community space around a practical need. And only, only with the top group, you're going to build a very strong sense of community um, with your members. Yeah, I've, I've read about something you've written where you said that, you know, even if you have, it, it doesn't need to be a thousand or 10,000 or, you know, you really start with just five or 10 people that are super engaged. And, and this is, that's kind of reminds me of like what the, the sort of YC training is, which is like find 10 people that love your product. And that's better than having, you know, a hundred people that you know, think your product's okay. But you've kind of talked about that of like, just, you just need a couple of people and start with that. And then that can grow from there. I wonder if you could talk about that because there's, you know, all this pressure on marketing teams, right, to do things at scale, 
and to, you know, <laughs> just absolutely, you know, blow the metrics away. We were, I was with a, a company last week and they have less than a thousand Twitter followers and someone has created a goal and said, we need to hit 2 million Twitter followers this year. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was the most unrealistic. It was, it's just not even a good goal. Like, you know, you've, you've had nine years in your history or whatever it is, 10 years of your history, or maybe it's five years, you got 900 followers. And now you're supposed to, this poor social media person is supposed to get millions of followers. It's just, you know, so I, I thought that's like, why is that? And how do you, why do I only need a couple people? And, and how do I convince the people that I work for or the people in the company that are making decisions, how do I convince them that that's okay? Like that's where we should start. And that's, you know, that's how we can build something great. I think we tend to spend so much time measuring what we can instead instead of measuring what matters. And that leads to a situation where we're measuring the same tools that people use to measure any advertising campaign or marketing because uh, a, lot, a lot of the tools we use like Google Analytics and all that and social media analytics are all designed to measure advertising more than they are designed to measure a community. So we measure the reach, we measure the number of interactions, we measure the quantity of this and that and ultimately these things don't mean anything at all. What we need to be measuring are the impact that the, that the community has and how people feel about when they're in that community. So what tends to happen is an organization will see, you know, their peers, you know, with a community that's three or five years old, has, you know, 10,000 members. Um, and they'll think, you know what, we want that. And instead of going through the steps of where they were like three to five years ago to get there, they want to speed up that whole process and do it tomorrow. And that leads to a situation where they try to have this huge launch and they don't build a stable base to grow from. And the easiest way to launch a community today is to launch small. Because those first 50 members you have, those first founding members of that community, the people who have to have real ownership over that community, they need a different level of attention. There's nothing in that community right now, so they need a different level of attention. You need to spend time engaging with each one of them and know exactly what their hopes and dreams and challenges are, and then design ways they can contribute to solve those issues together. Because that's what typical community organizing is. You find out what people's issues are, you find out ways they can work together to resolve them. And we've lost a lot of that. When community building went onto the internet, we lost a lot of that. And so that's what we need to do. When you start a community, when you're starting from scratch, I mean, there are a few exceptions in a customer support community where you can just throw a lot of people into a place and you'll get some answers. But for everyone else, you've got to start small. You've got to start with those first 50 members, build a really stable base to grow from, of people that are actively engaged, that are actively participating. And then you steadily grow from there. And you're going to, you're going to be initiating most of those discussions in, initially. You're going to be responding to most of those discussions. You're going to be at mentioning people to respond to those discussions, bringing new people in. And then over time, you'll find out more and more members are doing it themselves until you reach that critical mass point. The point where more than 50% of growth and activity is generated by the community as opposed to being generated by you. And that's when your work begins to change. So you go from the one-to-one direct interaction to creating content and moderation rules, designing systems for onboarding members, all those great things that are going to help you scale up quite quickly. But you need to have that stable foundation there to begin with. Let's go, go into a scenario here. And I would love to get your advice. I'm running a community that has a product that people like, that let's say that people love. I've been trying to run community initiatives and they're just not taking hold. I'm not getting those that first 50 or 100 people who are really passionate about it. 
but yet we have people that love the product. We have, you know, a large customer base. When you hear somebody that has that type of problem, if you were in their shoes, how would you, what would you do next? How would you go about solving that problem? Yeah. So the obvious thing to do is to spend more time with your members to figure out what the issue is. Because just because people will love your product, they don't want to spend their spare time talking about that product. I mean, I love coffee. I don't spend spare time talking about coffee with other people that love the same brand of coffee as myself. And I think that's quite common. I mean, there's too many product products in the world for us to participate in communities around them. It just doesn't work. I think in a situation like that, there's one of two things that have gone wrong here. One is the relationship side. The people that are first going to join a community have to see the the value in that community and they have to trust that you're going to deliver on that value and trust relies upon relationships not relationships with with your brand i mean they could have a great nps score whatever but the relationships with a person that's starting the community the named individual within that whole organization that is going to be responsible for that community do they have strong relationships have they earned the credit the credibility to start a community in that field and the answer is usually no. And that's why there's no real trust there. There's no real reason to be engaged. The second most likely thing that's happening in a situation like that is the concept of that community is wrong. It wasn't unique enough. You have existing competitors at the moment or people just aren't particularly excited by it. So then you have to define what is the concept of that community really? So what is the community actually about? Is it about the product? Is it about the challenge that they have? So for example, imagine you sell a washing machine and people love the washing machine, but they're probably not going to spend their spare time talking about washing machines with other people who love their washing machine. So it's going to be very hard to build a community around that. But you can build a community, say, for people who want to spend, you know, the least amount of possible time doing household chores. I reckon a household hacks online community is going to be quite successful. It's still related to what you do. But the concept is different. People are now sharing their hacks for, you know, their housework, DIY chores and all that. So it's a very different concept for that community. And I find the communities that really, really explode to life, the communities that have phenomenal growth, are those that have a unique concept in the, in the first place. I mean, Kaggle, for example, is one of my favorite online communities, K-A-G-G-L-E. Dot com. It's a community for data, for data scientists. Now, there's a lot of online communities in that field. It's a competitive space. But what made the founder of that community unique is that he built the, the concept around a challenge. So he would have some data that he would share with people. Then you'd have to predict what the next series of that data is based upon a formula that you designed. It's a unique concept. It's the only concept of its kind. So it explodes life because people love it. And I think too often the default thing for a brand to do is let's build a forum about our products. And who cares? I mean, like you've got to think more creatively about this is the internet. This is the most competitive space for attention that's ever been invented ever, I think. So the concept is usually the challenge. People just aren't excited enough by the concept itself. You use a lot of uh, social psychology and I wonder... I mean, look, I'm, I'm a communications major, so, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all a little bit above my pay grade and maybe what I can even, you know, comprehend. But would love to know, you know, what strategies, if I'm a community manager, you know, what, and, I'm, and I want to dive into that, I want to start to understand different aspects of, you know, the psychology of the users. Where should I start? What do you recommend that, that I look for and, and learn from to get better at that? Sure. I mean, I think how successful you've been, you've been quite harsh on, on yourself there. I think there's a three different things. If you're just getting started from a standing start, I think three things would be really useful to know. One is the theory of, self, of self-determination, 
which sounds quite complicated, but essentially is that people have inherent universal needs to do certain things. And if you can satisfy the motivations that people have at each unique stage, you're going to be very highly engaged in any activity they're doing. And these motivations are usually a need for competence, autonomy, and relatedness. Most people have heard some variation of this. So competence, the smarter you feel that you're getting, the more competent you feel you're getting, the more you feel you're challenging the tackles at your level, the more engaged you're going to be. The autonomy, the more you feel you can act in a way that is in line with your true beliefs and how you want to behave, i.e. not being controlled, the more you're going to enjoy the activity. And relatedness is the stronger the sense of connection you have with other, other people also doing that activity, the more engaged you try to be. And we've toyed around with different models, the hooked model and Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all that kind of stuff. But the one model we found that is so predictive of whether people will engage or not is whether these needs are being satisfied. So if you can take members when they first join, which is going to be for an immediate gratification they have, an immediate need for information or to be a part of something or whatever it is. And then slowly you've got to make them feel more competent within that field, more autonomous within that community. So having unique roles and things they can do is quite useful and more connected to other members as in genuine real friendships that are developing and events are fantastic for that. Then they're going to be participating for the long term. So I think that's one. The other one I think is critical for everyone to read is the theory of the sense of community. So the original article was in 1984 by David Millen and David Chavis, I think. I think I've got that correct. But this basically outlines what that whole indescribable feeling we have when we're in a group, they found a way to diagnose it and to benchmark whether it exists. So you can use a sense of community index for that. You can look it up. And then you can use that to systematically design interventions to increase the sense of community that people feel. And the sense of community, perhaps more than anything else, is a silver bullet for our work. If you can get people to feel a sense of community, they stick around for longer. They participate more. They want to help each other out. A lot of the bad behaviors tend to go to go away as well. So a sense of community, that, that membership that you can identify who is or isn't a member by the language they use and how they're dressed and all those things. And influence, whether they feel they can influence the group or not. And that integration of needs, whether they feel the group is in line with what they need and um, is heading in the right direction. And that shared emotional connection. When you can design intervention, those four things... You're going to have an incredibly powerful sense of community. It's the one blueprint that I think applies to so many different types of communities that are out there today. That's great. That's perfect. I think maybe for us, that's a good place to stop. And this is perfect. Thank you, Rich. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this. If you'd like to see more about how to create your own event community, go to bevylabs.com slash pod. Again, that's B-E-V-Y labs.com slash pod.